to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Kristen Stoneking, the senior pastor here. And I'm Brian Adkins, associate pastor. Our mission here is to live out God's love for all. We strengthen our faith as we worship, study, develop a creative, supportive community, and serve others. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with a scripture reading and a message.
to confess two things to you. The first is that I recorded my entire sermon without pressing record. And uh, (laughs) the second is that I did not want to preach today. I didn't feel like it. But I know that, that my reticence to preach is a function of my privilege. I know that as I preach today, I need to address the death of George Floyd and the demonstrations that have followed. And so as I begin, my prayer, as always, is that the good news be heard through me or in spite of me. I have wondered what can a white man say during this time. I can't speak to the experiences of black people, but I can speak to my white brothers and sisters and try to imagine together where God is at work today. I admit I have to fight the desire to disengage. I don't want to watch the videos of the protests. I don't want to read the news. It's uncomfortable to me. I don't know what to do or how to react. I'm horrified by what I have seen. Uh, I'm horrified by the killings of of innocent people. I'm horrified by the images of police uh, violently um, dismissing protesters. Um, And it's easy to feel powerless in the face of such huge systemic injustice but we have to use our platforms and this is my platform I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and even if I don't have anything to say or know what to say the Word of God speaks 
And I have to trust that. Some of us are struggling to place the news we're hearing in context. As we've seen people pouring out into the streets, raising their voices, there's a flood of emotions. We recognize that our lenses filter our view and the media spins the story, many of them focusing on looting and vandalism rather than on the cause of the outrage, the systemic injustice. Deflect, deny, and divide. We know that these are the tools and the, and the ways of the empire. Why is the empire so threatened that we might see and know each other? Who is it that wins when we are divided? In Acts chapter 7, we read the story of Stephen. He was the early convert to Christianity. A young man, excited about the good news he had heard. And the church leaders, they don't put him on a committee. Instead, they send him out and say, Stephen, go feed people. Just feed people. And so he did. The text says he was full of grace and power and performed signs and wonders among the people. And he ran afoul the religious authorities. They accused him of blasphemy. And he is called before the Sanhedrin, the tribunal of elders, to defend himself. Are these charges true, they ask him? But he does not enter a plea. He does not begin to defend himself. Instead, he begins to recite the history of the Jewish people. And in the crux of, the crux of his speech before them is this, uh, the, the words of God from the prophet Isaiah. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build me? Where is the place that I shall make my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? What house will you build for God? What building can contain God? In this one word, Stephen nails the conflict between the institution and the people, between the empire and the people. Suddenly, with Pentecost, God is in the streets. And God in the streets among the people threatens the status quo. Now, why is that? Stephen continues, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did so to you. Which of you, which of the prophets have your fathers not persecuted? And they have slain them which came before showing the, the, the coming of the just one, of whom you've now been the betrayers and murderers. You have received the law by the disposition of angels, and you have not kept it. The text tells us that when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. And even as they strike him and condemn him to death by stoning, we are told that Stephen looked into heaven, steadfastly into heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at God's right hand. White people have been indoctrinated through media and through reading histories of mostly men uh, who, that have been written by mostly white men in the past. And whether we're conscious of it or not, we are taught to believe certain things about people of other races. We're, in particular, we're taught to believe that black and brown men are, are, are dangerous and must be controlled. Racism is instilled in us from an early age and it's pervasive. It doesn't go away on its own. And my first reaction to a conversation on racism is often, but I'm not a racist. But that's a defensive statement, it's a reaction. 
If I'm introspective, it tells me that there's something there, unexamined. Passive racism is endemic. The only answer is to become actively anti-racist. To educate ourselves on the lived experiences and, and come to an understanding of the systemic injustices faced by the other. And I know that's a scary step to take. In doing so, we're called to take a fearless inventory of ourselves and our privilege. We will feel guilt and shame when we engage in the conversation. We will get uncomfortable. But please remember, God is a God of discomfort too. Good things can come from uncomfortable situations. You know, Saul, the man who would later become the Apostle Paul, that great evangelist of our faith, he was there that day that they stoned Stephen to death. We're told he was consenting to Stephen's death. He stood by holding the cloaks of the men who stoned him. Even without casting a stone, he participated in the murder of Stephen. He was complicit. Beloved, every single one of us has seen the videos of black and brown men who've lost their lives at the hands of police. Innocent men and women who, who for, for no reason, have, been, who have had their lives taken from them. And we see it on the news and we say, oh my God, that's awful. And then we go back to business as usual. Meanwhile, the families and communities of those victims are shattered. But for some reason, that's not newsworthy. We've seen these things and in not speaking, we're complicit. Will this be the moment? When we finally say not one more, not one more child of a black mother, not one more brother, sister, niece, uncle, cousin, no one, no one, not one more innocent person will die while we stand by. When I was on the commission on a way forward, we spoke about the suicide rates among LGBTQ youth Many of the commission members said, oh my God, that's awful. And then proceeded with their plans to make the church white and straight again. And there was a moment early on when I broke down. It was during a time when my, my own sister, who, who was black and queer, had recently attempted suicide. I thought of her and of queer people in my life that I had lost to suicide over the years. And I told them, I told my colleagues, if I thought that it would prevent one more death, if I thought it would prevent one more queer young person from taking their own life, I would burn the United Methodist Church to the ground and scatter the ashes. I still would. Can we say the same thing about one more black life lost? Would we burn down the institution to save just one Black Lives Matter? Put out a tweet this week that reminded us that Jesus left the 99 and went after the one because it was the one who was in danger. Yehuda Bauer, who's a scholar who studies the Holocaust, he suggested that we add three commandments to our list of ten. He would add, thou shalt not be a perpetrator, thou shalt not be a victim, but above all, thou shalt not be a bystander. It's time to repent to recognize our racism, our resistance to becoming anti-racist, repent of being bystanders. We repent of not living up to our United Methodist baptismal vows, to renounce evil and oppression in all their forms and to accept the freedom 
and the power that God gives us to resist evil, injustice, and oppression. Have we accepted that power and that freedom and the responsibility that comes with it? Repentance is, itself is not enough. We have to act on it. Repent and then go back to the status quo is a hollow act. We have to act on that repentance. We have to change something about who we are and how we live our lives. We have to be more honest with ourselves than we have ever been. Now let's go back to Stephen for a moment. As I said, the Word of God speaks. We just have to listen. As I mentioned, Stephen, while he's about to be stoned to death, he has a vision and sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And as I read that line for the thousandth time in my life, I suddenly thought, hmm, that's strange. Stephen sees Jesus standing. You see, everywhere else in the Bible, when Jesus is described after his ascension, he is described as being seated at the right hand of God. Seated. But Jesus, here in this, in this one solitary instance, Jesus is seen to be standing. And I can't help but wonder, what was it that got Jesus to his feet? What caused Jesus to rise up and bear witness? I have to believe that he saw something in Stephen that compelled him to get up. He could not remain seated. He stood with Stephen. Now in this story, Jesus does not strike dead the men who are casting stones, but nonetheless, he bears witness. He sees the man. He sees his faith. He sees his hurt. He sees him speaking truth to power, and in seeing these things, he rises to his feet in solidarity. Didn't Jesus tell us the stones would speak? The stones are speaking in this story. When we are silent, the stones will speak. We might also say the fires will speak. The tear gas will speak. The blood will speak. We have to decide if we're going to be Saul through silence, being complicit in the oppression of a person or a people? Or are we going to be the body of Christ that musters the strength and finds a way, leans into our discomfort, and rises up? What can we do? Bishop Gregory Palmer, the Bishop of the West Ohio Conference of the United Methodist Church, says this, Are you prepared to challenge racism and supremacy in all the places you see it, hear it, and experience it? Racism and supremacy is more rife than what may finally make it into the news cycle. It is historic, accumulated, systemic, institutional, and personal. It is everywhere, all the time. What can we do? Black organizations that are participating in this movement tell us that we can listen with cultural humility, believing that people know the solutions to their own problems. We can educate ourselves. There's a plethora of resources on anti-racism. Recognize that racism is a white people problem. Just like homophobia is a straight people problem, just like ageism is a young people's problem, just like misogyny is a man's problem. We can speak up and join in protests, use our platforms to advocate and educate those around us. We can call for the prosecution of police who murder black and brown people. We can support organizations on the front lines. We can contribute to the funds that help pay bail for protesters who are arrested. And we can advocate for change through the political system that we have 
hold our elected uh, elected officials accountable and vote and advocate for voting rights for everybody. Beloved, our faith is literally based on the gospel of an innocent man who was murdered by soldiers of the empire. This, this is the test of our faith. Not whether we believe that Jesus died and rose again, but whether we believe that we are called to do the same thing. Reverend Frederick Oler says this, demagogues of every sort have always counted on our fears to make us afraid and to scare us into submission. Politicians and preachers, commissars and evangelists make people afraid, afraid of what will happen to them, afraid of death and therefore afraid of life. The fear mongers are so successful because they find in us willing subjects. But the gospel of perfect love casts out that fear from our beginnings. And in the meantime, we ask God to help us move from petty fears to better ones. If we cannot be fearless, let us choose better ones. From fears of hell to admissions of joylessness, from quaking before opinions and modes and fashions to fearing the loss of our integrity, better fears. Let's choose not to fear tyrants, but rather to fear the loss of our voices, the loss of authenticity, the loss of our integrity, and yes, the loss of just even one more innocent life. Our hope is always and only in the risen and rising Christ. We have that good news. Once we know that Christ stands with us, we can share that good news with others. Christ stands with you when you speak up for what you believe in, when you speak truth to power. Christ stands with us always, all the time, and everywhere. Thanks be to God. You've been listening to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. I'm Brian Adkins, Associate Pastor here. We'd love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. If you are here in Berkeley, Epworth's worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 1953 Hopkins Street at the corner of Napa and Hopkins. And I'm Senior Pastor Kristen Stoneking. If you connect to our podcast from further away, we would invite you to visit our website, EpworthBerkeley.org. We'd invite you to keep seeking to grow in faith and to stop by the next time you're in Berkeley. Be my call.